Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years, and now I'm not. Today we're talking about Henry Danger, a Nickelodeon TV comedy about a teenage sidekick superhero that first aired in 2014 with a fifth season greenlit for next year. It doesn't have a page on Rotten Tomatoes, so I've gone elsewhere for some reviews. Common Sense Media describes the show as a, quote, cheesy formulaic superhero comedy that offers little substance, unquote while the Parents' Choice website summarizes Henry Danger as, quote, lighthearted escapist entertainment, a sitcom that offers an interesting situation, and adequate physical and scripted comedy. Take it for what it is, unquote. But as always here on Below the Line, we're not concerned about what the critics think, but rather how the show gets made. And today, as my guests, I have the assistant director team from Henry Danger. Mike Karen, you've been the first AD since the start of the show, and you've also directed a handful of episodes. Welcome to Below the Line. Thank you. Looking at your IMDb page, it suggests you're also known for Game Shakers, iCarly, and Victorious. Now, usually here on Below the Line, we review the IMDb notes somewhat tongue-in-cheek because the known for listings don't always make a lot of sense. But these site elections look like a pretty fair overview of your career to date. Correct, they are. I've been with Nickelodeon, our, our shows that are on Nickelodeon for the past 12, 13 years. Well, thanks for being here today, Mike. We're looking forward to hearing more about him. Robin Wiley-Pratt, you are the key second AD on Henry Danger, and you started in that position at the start of season two, yes? Uh, that is correct. Now, with your IMDb page, we can have a little more fun. You're known for Murder by Numbers, the Sandra Bullock film, and a couple of TV shows, CSI Miami, Till Death, and Hot in Cleveland. Which of these would you suggest would be the best candidate for a Henry Danger crossover? I think Hot and Cleveland would be great. I think Betty White could uh, put on a superhero cape and her and Henry could go kick some butt. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. Thanks, Robin. Adam Haas, you round out this team as the second second AD. Welcome to Below the Line. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. So Haas, over at IMDb, you're known for Henry Danger and Victorious, where you worked as the key set PA. But you're also known for a couple of films, Insomnium and Mouthpiece, where you're credited as a grip. What's the story there? Uh, well, when I first uh, was in college, uh, I had some friends and roommates uh, and alumni that uh, moved out here before me. And I thought I'd go that path that they did of being an electric and grip and working that route. Uh, spent the first year or so struggling and not working as much as I'd like until finally opened up uh, the PA routes and then actually got some traction and things started rolling. Well, glad to have you here today. Looking forward to hearing more about your experiences on Henry Danger. Back to that. Robin, could you tell us a little bit more about the show? For those of you who aren't familiar with Henry Danger, um, let me go through some of the characters and the actors that play him. Uh, first of all, there is Jace Norman, who plays Kid Danger, also known as Henry Hart. And it's a superhero TV show, and he is the sidekick of Captain Man, played by Cooper Barnes, whose character is also named Ray. Ray owns a junk shop. He uh, hires Henry to come be his sidekick, and they take care of Swellview. Two of Henry's good friends are played by Rielle Downs. She plays Charlotte and Sean Ryan Fox, and he plays Jasper. Henry Hart's sister is played by Ella Anderson, and she plays Piper Hart. And then there is Captain Man's kind of a fix-it guy that lives in the man cave, played by Michael D. Cohen, and he plays Schwaz. I like that you did that in call sheet order too, Robin. That was very well done. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was going to say it because I could see the way her head was kind of working because that's, you know. <laughs> yep. Personally, I worked on a couple of single-camera sitcoms when I was in L.A., like Arrested Development and Entourage, but I never worked in multi-camera. So for the benefit of our listeners who might not be familiar with either, let's start by discussing the differences between the two formats. 
there are so many differences for multi-camera and single camera. The main difference, obviously, in the name multi and single, of course, with single camera, you still have maybe one or two cameras recording a setup. But in multi-camera, there is four cameras all the time. And what that does for you is that you can record a scene that's maybe two, three, four, five, six pages from four angles at once. And it goes much, much faster than single camera. A five-page scene in single camera would take maybe five, six, seven hours. A five-page scene in multi-camera could take as little as one hour if it was just, say, hot in Cleveland. It could be one or two hours. In a kid's television show, it takes a little bit longer because we have stunts and special effects and dogs and cats and all kinds of things raining. And also the schedule is very different in multi-camera. In single camera, you shoot for an episode maybe eight days and go in various locations. In multi-camera, you have a five-day week, three of which normally is rehearsal and two of which you shoot. In Henry Danger, we do two rehearsal days and three shoot days because we have so much content and so many awesome special effects and costumes and great things for the kids that we need a lot more shoot time. Those are the uh, main differences. Now, I know a lot of time in multi-camera, there will be a live audience. How does Henry Danger manage that? Uh, we don't. And to Robin's point, multi-camera shows are kind of meant to feed off a live audience's energy. Because like Robin said, like single camera, someone once said, you have to build it. Like you make your shots by shots and then you kind of build it all together in editing. In theory, multi-camera, what you show on the stage and how you film with the form cameras, in theory, could just go right to TV just on a line cut because it just should cut, 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 cut. And then with the live audience there, that fuels the energy so you get that one magical take that can go on TV. Like Robin was saying, because of all our special effects and, and we, we can't flow through a scene, you always have to stop. You're on green screen. You have to put in all the different rig things, for example, that an audience would be, quite frankly, bored to tears because they would just sit there and watch a lot of crew setting up special effects. So we just have never done it. I, I remember when I started Nickelodeon 13 years ago, I worked like four or five audience shows. And after that, it just sort of went away because the shows just got more and more complex. Another reason a children's show can't really have live audiences, unless they're very, very lucky, is kid time. For a live audience show, it would start maybe five o'clock or seven o'clock at night and you would shoot till you got it. To put that pressure on a TV show to have to do it within the time kids can only work between eight and a half to ten and a half hours, depending on their age. So I'm sure back in the day when this particular Nickelodeon group decided not to do live audiences, it was probably because they couldn't possibly make their episodes. Uh, I worked on a couple kids shows that did do a live audience and it was so, so, so challenging and they weren't doing near the kind of stuff we would do on Henry Danger. Henry Danger is just chock full of so many special effects and makeup and all kinds of craziness that I don't think we could possibly do a live show. Let's talk more about the specific challenges of Henry Danger. I watched a handful of episodes in preparation for our podcast, and I was very impressed with the amount of special effects, the action fight scenes that sometimes were quite extensive, involved lots and lots of folks, and just the multiple sets in each shoot, sometimes even cutting back and forth in the conversation between sets. Let's talk about your action fight scenes. So what sort of effort goes into a multi-person battle, which seems to happen on the show every episode? It kind of starts with our um, stunt coordinator, a man named Vince Dedrick. Um, what happens is we'll meet for our production meeting. We'll get a sense of what our um, showrunner, Chris Nowak, wants out of the fight. And then from there, Vince kind of takes it. He'll talk to the director, get a sense of like the blocking, like, look, I need these people over here at this moment or vice versa. And then, like Robin said, we only rehearse two days. So kind of what will happen is he'll show up at six o'clock in the morning with his stunt team. He'll choreograph it. We'll rehearse it. He'll show us what he has. The director will kind of fine tune differences of where people got to be, you know, to as the script dictates. Maybe a half hour at lunch with first team, 
and then we uh, show a run through. So, I mean, a lot of times it really is, it's all put together in one day. We have also stunt doubles that do the tough choreography. Jace and Cooper do a lot of their own stunts. They do it all the way up until it gets a little dangerous. So all the fighting that you see, you know, Jace and Cooper can throw a punch, they can kick, they can duck and all that. But if it's ever something that's thrown against the wall or anything that might hurt our, our real actors who aren't trained to be stunt actors, then we swap them out. And are you guys doing wire work as well? It seems occasionally I've got to see folks up in the air or flying through the air and then taking that out in post. Is that how you guys are shooting that? Yeah, we do a lot of wires. That's for sure. And what about special effects? Um, I know, for example, the guys go up those tubes all the time. Uh, there's other kind of changes on set with the fights and the superpowers. Do you guys have a full-time special effects person there? It's funny. This season, we've, um, you know, the tubes you're, re you're referring to? In the pilot, we were at the point where in order to get them to go up the tubes, we put them in full harnesses. And just like you said, we had them wired up and we had to, you know, shoot background plates so they could take it out and post. And our special effects person, a man named David Van Riper, got a hold of it. And he was like, well, all you really need to do is have them stand up on their toes and I'll take care of the rest. And we all kind of looked at each other like, oh, well, that's easier than all the rigs and the wires and all that kind of stuff. And just like everything else in the industry, special effects in the beginning, you know, stuff that we could do practically, we tried to do as much as we could so we would not, you know, overstrain our special effects. But effects has got to the point where it's truly a tool that we can use because it makes our day go faster. It's become a tool that we can do things more efficiently. We can do them safer sometimes, particularly when you're throwing things across the room. He'll take care of all that stuff. A lot of times when people are hit by something, it's a complete visual effect. We don't have to make something and actually throw it at someone. You know, from day one, a lot of things that we used to do practically now, special effects handles as if it's just pedestrian. You know, they don't even think about it. like, we'll have our production meeting and we'll be like, well, can effects handle that? And, you know, our post-production supervisor will look at us and just be like, oh, yeah, 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 we, we, we got that. You know, and it's like, really? It's okay. Well, you're adding, you know, a thousand bees to a guy's face. Nah, we can take care of that. It's interesting how we've watched special effects evolve over the years, just like everything else you've watched in the, you know, the Marvel universe or big features. Effects is moving forward at a lightning pace. Everything Mike said is absolutely true. I think you watched the Space Invaders episode, Skid? Robin, I did. Uh, one of the episodes I watched in preparation was Space Invaders, the two-parter where they go up to a space station circling the Earth. That was also directed by Mr. Mike Karen. In that episode, <laughs> the two guys were floating, and visual effects had a lot to do with that, but also our practical special effects guys, uh, led by Clark James, and he's got about five to ten men and women working for him at any <laughs> given point, that lifted those guys up, and it was amazing to watch because when they were, the guys were floating, then you turned around, it was almost like puppeteers behind the camera, and there was four guys just pulling at strings, and then, of course, David Van Riper later in post takes out all the strings, then the guys are floating. It was pretty fun, the things that we get to do on Henry Danger. The teamwork that goes from production to pre-prep, the actual shooting, the way it goes to post, we're a pretty well-oiled machine that way. I mean, all, you know, all the things that we do, because in that production meeting, we usually have David on the phone, our, our visual effects. And so everyone kind of is working in unison to figure out how to do it best. Diving a little deeper into the idea of teamwork, could you tell us a bit more about how the division of labor works with you guys as an AD team? This is Haas. As the second second AD, uh, I will focus on everything background artist related uh, as far as uh, looking at the script and seeing what scenes need uh, any background performers and then booking and then taking it through getting paperwork signed and then getting them out to sets, giving the background artist direction and blocking position uh, all the way through shooting and getting them uh, out of here for the day is where I focus my skills. Thanks, Haas. Robin, where do you pick it up as the key second AD? 
My job is a lot of planning. Where Haas and Mike live in the day, I live in tomorrow and yesterday. I'm in charge of prepping the call sheet for the next day. Um, I also actually do the production report, which normally on uh, features or uh, episodic trainees or second seconds uh, usually do that. But I also run first team. So I get all the actors ready. I talk to hair and makeup, get them through wardrobe and anything else that fills in the cracks. It's a smaller team than single camera. It's only the three ADs and our awesome set PA, uh, Matthew Cocosa. He's amazing. He and I work together a lot. Mostly it's him and I. And he's also on set with Mike a lot. It's a small but mighty team. It's not as big as an episodic television where they might have an additional second, a trainee, two PAs. Whenever we have a lots of background, we'll bring in an additional second. Um, otherwise, it's just the four of us. And then Mike, where do you pick it up then on set? Folks might not understand fully what a first AD does. Obviously, a lot of our listeners do. How is it different on a show like this than on, say, either single camera or elsewhere in the industry? Because like Robin said, we're, because, because the crew is smaller, because we're all on stage. It's not like single camera where you have a base camp and then maybe a mile away you're shooting and you know, where, where you can clearly define the first AD is running you know, the set over there. I tend to think of myself as the focal point of the production. And I only say that in terms of because I prep the schedule and work with our UPM slash producer, Kim Shearwood, I tend to know why everything is, is happening. So a lot of the questions then therefore come to me because since I've scheduled it out the way I have, I know all the little machinations of, of why it's that way. Obviously, all the ADs listening out there, I run the set. We all know that. But I would say that with our crew and the way it works, I serve as a, kind of like the epicenter of where the information sort of goes through. Like a first AD on single camera will have a prep week, you know, the whole week, and they'll have their meetings with departments. We just don't work like that. We jump in, you know, we wrap an episode on Wednesday night, say at nine o'clock, and at seven o'clock the next morning, we're all back in our office on a brand new episode, brand new guest stars, brand new script, brand new schedule. And we have to move awfully fast. And it helps when they know on stage and come up to me and I can more or less usually give the answers. You know, or Robin or Haas or Matthew, they know what it is as well. Everyone knows where to go. And I guess that's over the years, I've kind of pieced it together. That's uh, worth its weight in gold, I guess. And so do you guys have different directors every episode as well? Or can someone direct multiple episodes in a row based on that shortened prep schedule that you're talking about? We tend to change it up week to week. I, I've directed that Thursday to Wednesday back to back and it's, man, it's tough. I mean, because again, you're, you're coming home at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, you're wrecked, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you've been shooting. It's really hard to get up and, and go at it again. So we've, this season, especially, I don't, I don't think we have any back to backs. Well, we have a two-parter, but that's, so that's a little different because we prepped it all beforehand, but I don't think we have any singles back to back. So let's talk more about the challenges of having minors on set. Uh, for folks who may not be aware, their hours are very restrictive. There are certain school requirements that have to be met for them to work. You just don't have a lot of control over their schedules. Yeah, so that's definitely uh, a problem that we have uh, a lot with our first team actors that are minors, but then also especially with uh, all of my background performers that I bring in that are under 18. Uh, I have to manage their school time, make sure they get all their required school hours in in the day, and then still have enough time for them to come out the stage to work with me so that they know what the scene is. Uh, so they know they're blocking and they're not just standing there staring at camera blankly. And then it can get very tricky 
because sometimes you might start the day like, all right, it's 8 a.m. Everybody comes out to set after they're ready to go and then you start shooting with them. But then like sometimes the day might start drifting a little bit and the action takes a little bit longer than you had anticipated. So you have to keep an eye on the time backtracking to make sure you get those number of hours within their limited work hours plus their lunchtime and then do that math to be like, all right, this scene has to be done or the scene, maybe those background actors have to be done by a certain time for me to be able to get their school and get them out of here on time as they need to be. So it can be quite tricky to do that, plus also still monitoring all four cameras and then making sure that everybody's still doing the same action that they need to be doing each time over. And then coming up with a plan to fall back on if things keep on drifting to one way. That can be a lot to juggle at times. So Haas, what's the most background you've ever had on the show at one time? Uh, I don't remember an exact number of the most I've had. Uh, I think it was actually a Mike-directed episode uh, for Game Shakers. Uh, Tech Fest was yeah. something like 70 or 80 total bodies, of which maybe 20 to 30 were minors. But yeah, something like 70, 80. I feel like one of your more difficult episodes was when I first started was the meatball. That was all day with a lot of minors and not a lot of adults. It was probably like 45 minors and maybe 15 adults. And that was all day long and you had your hands full that day. You, yes, I had forgotten that because that was one of my earlier on episodes. You might have blocked uh, that one out, it sounds like, Haas. That's a lot. I, I have a tendency that after the episode like finishes, it goes away and it's hard for me to bring back the memories. Uh, but yeah, the meatball <laughs> is definitely, it was definitely one of those complicated episodes. It was like a prom set and then I like everybody was in fancy dresses, so it took a lot of wardrobe time to get everybody through. And then just the action in the sets was, yeah, that was quite a bit. A lot of minors that day. I do feel Haas's job on the show is probably one of the most difficult jobs. The show itself is um, very challenging, but I think Haas, how he has to keep those kids motivated and know, he just explained it. I mean, what he does is short of incredible. You know, Mike and Matthew and I, we make fun of Haas sometimes because when he's an AD, he's very serious. But when he gets in front of the kids, he turns on the charm for the kids. So it's like a whole other guy we've never actually ever met. I don't know <laughs> if he really exists, but he turns it on for the kids because he knows he needs to keep them motivated, keeps them quiet if we need to. But he does it in such a way where the kids actually have a good day and they want to come back um, and they have a lot of fun on the show and they get to tell all their friends they're going to be on Henry Danger. That's one of the things that I never realized going into this job, how much of a not only director I would have to be giving like specific action and motivation for people, but then also to keep morale up, either crack jokes or, you know, just act like an idiot myself to bring up their attitude. I turn into a cheerleader. We actually have a lot of videos of Haas doing cheerleaders, like miming. We should post it on Mike's Instagram one day. We'll just do like, <laughs> through the years, just Haas going, like he does it and you can see him cheering on the background silently. It's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a great day for me when that video goes up online. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do. We play bad cop, good cop to some extent, because my job is to keep them quiet when we cut and, you know, to try and keep order as much as I can. Because a lot of scenes, especially when it comes to kids, on action, they're supposed to be going apeshit crazy. So Haas is having them do that. And then when the director yells cut, I need them to be, you know, instantly quiet. You know, I can yell out, no, quiet, everybody be quiet. But then Haas is going through quietly going, great job, guys, great job. And he's giving them the attaboy, the girls. It's a, it's a dance. It's a tricky dance you and I play, Haas, on set to keep the morale up. And quite frankly, sometimes, just like anything else, you get some really good background calls. Like you get people, adults and kids, who are really coming to play. 
And then sometimes you just don't. It's just people that, for whatever reason, they just, it's, it's just that kind of crowd. And I would argue probably in those moments, Haas, is when you probably had your finest hour because you're like trying to like, you know, get these people who are, they're just not into it, into it. Actually, what do you think is the toughest background crowd you've had? I'm trying to think. One of the hardest sets, I think, was uh, probably a dodgeball episode. The main cast was doing this dodgeball tournament back and forth. So there was a kind of a cutaway with uh, some actors in it where a lot of people were watching this set. Sometimes this group of people, like you could almost tell that they were just there for the paycheck and they were just like, we're in. Eh, we're half there. We're not quite there. So it was like pulling teeth to try to get them to do the proper sports reactions, the hands up in the air, cheering loudly, showing that kind of like we're really invested enthusiasm. They got it for some takes, but definitely not every take. And we definitely had to go like back. Like main performance might have been great, but there's the couple people in the background that are just sitting there with their head on their hand as a figure of speech, not invested in the scene. And if the showrunner or you know the director notices that during shooting that, he's going to call you out and you're going to have to do that again and then try to not bust that person too badly uh, so that they you know hate you for the rest of the day, uh, <laughs> but then also try to get that good performance. That was a tricky one. Right, so let's go to the other end of the acting spectrum with your background on one side, you've got your main actors at the other. What's it like working with those guys? Oh, it's, it's a delight. Henry Danger, we've all said this. I mean, I, like I said, I've worked on the Nickelodeon shows over a decade and the Henry Danger cast, truly, they're, they're a special little group. From day one, uh, particularly Jason Coop, you know, you got to remember Jace was, what was he, 13 when he started? And, you know, Coop is early 30s. And so, but right off the bat, this guy and this kid, day one, had instant chemistry. And it shows on, it shows on camera for sure. But I think what's interesting is when these shows start, you always have to remember you're getting, generally speaking, a bunch of kids who have not had a lot of experience and sometimes not any. I mean, they truly are being picked for their look and the way they audition. But once they get to us, it's kind of like an acting boot camp. It's Hollywood boot camp. It's school boot camp. I mean, remember these kids, not only are they performing on a show, they're acclimating to their new teacher who's in the schoolroom. They're acclimating to their other castmates who they've never met being in school with them, not only acting with them. That's their social area. So they're also learning how to make friends with everyone else. There's a lot of stuff thrown at a cast in these kid shows when they first get together. And the Henry Danger cast has grown exponentially together. They've really grown as a unit. And it really shows on screen. If you see them off camera, they all joke with each other. There's no... It really is something. Remember, remember, Robin, in the first, I think when you, when you started, it always used to be we'd wrap them and then they'd hang at the studio for two more hours just for no other reason than they just like to be with each other. As we've gotten older now, of course, that's changed as they become, you know, late teenagers or, you know, 18 or 19. But in the beginning, we couldn't get them out of there. <laughs> we, really, we really couldn't get them out. They actually, they, they still hang out. Not every day, but they do still hang out. It's really cute. I would say also from an acting standpoint as well, with the Henry Danger actors, a lot of them, they figured out their characters really fast. Like they knew who they were in the play and then really worked hard at being that character. Take like, um, like stunt choreogra uh, choreography we're talking about. Jason Coop are really, really good stunt fighters. Like Robin said, I mean, they're at the point, I mean, unless we're like throwing someone against a wall or flipping them, they're doing it all and they're doing it quick. Sometimes they're going to camera. The museum episode, that was one day. All that fighting you saw was rehearsed in one day. And that's just through, you know, experience over the years. But that's how much they care about what they're doing. They could very easily just sit back and be like, oh, my stunt double can do that. Or, oh, that's just not our cast. They always want to come to set. They always want to rehearse. They care about the product that goes on the screen. 
that unto itself is, is inspiring everybody. The guest stars that come on our show, the background that Haas works with, from the top, if they're seeing these actors commit a thousand percent, how can anyone else not commit? You know, I mean, and I think that's a little, or maybe a huge part of this, the magic of our show and why it is so popular. Jace believes he's a superhero. Coop, thousand percent believes he's a superhero. They all want to create the world of Swellview and they're really, it's, it's really something to watch. Mike, I'm not sure that the museum episode was one of the ones that I caught. Could you say with the fight scene in there, what was unique or challenging about it? The basic plot was there was a museum that had a diamond in it, Neil Diamond, and uh, they were guarding it. Um, it was the most sought after diamond. The two superheroes had to guard this diamond. And basically it became just a huge fight amongst museum artifacts. So you can imagine a ton of breakaways, the diamond itself. It was a large set. It was a huge set, a lot of background in there. And we had a day, we had some other delays. So we really only had a day to rehearse. Again, Vince came in the morning. The guys learned it in the morning. They had a half hour lunch. And by the next day, 24 hours later, we were actually shooting it. So talking about complicated sets, how much of a lead time does your team have with the scripts in order to pull all of those fantastic props and very different sets together? I would say we get a pretty decent lead time because you, you have to have it, especially if there's some big sets coming down the road. Our department needs to know when to put them together and design it. I mean, we're probably eight scripts ahead at this point. In this season, we've shot five of them and we already have up through, like say episode 12 and 13 inked in. So there's been, it's a, it's a good amount of lead time for particularly the art department. Clark James, like Robin said, our special effects. Sometimes there's some pretty big set pieces that you just can't uh, put together so quickly. Yes, and having the scripts ahead of time is great because our costume designer, Chris Dangle, and our makeup and hair department heads, Joe Mackey and Michael Johnson, they have, you'll be seeing it coming up in the episode, uh, which was probably aired by the time this airs, we got a monster for Danger Things that all together took five or six hours to put together. And we actually tested it beforehand to get it approved. And when you don't have the scripts uh, ahead to prep, then you know it won't look nearly as good. So that episode looks fantastic. Let's talk more about the Danger Things episode, because I can just imagine that that was a different sort of challenge for you, or was it just par for the course? You know, Haas had a big episode. This, again, is working with the background. Danger Things was one of those episodes where, in some regards, it's, yes, we had done some of these things before, but it's just like the length of time and the amount the performers are involved and then have to share such big interactions with our both the monster we talked about and uh, other first teamers that I think was a little bit bigger uh, than some we had done. Because there's food fights and getting everybody slimed up in the episode. It, it was good that we had lead time to be able to prepare ourselves uh, both for safety, like with donuts being thrown all around the sets, the food fight we were in, uh, dealing with the slime that we had to deal with, and then prepping so that I could hire background kids that were going to be fine, and parents, most importantly, they were going to be fine with their kid getting, they were very messy uh, at the end of our shoot days, was uh, a difficult, not, not so much difficult, but just glad that we had the prep time to be able to get ready for it. Well, Danger Things, scheduling-wise, was a challenge in unison with Haas in the background because when you've seen the episode, there is the, the, the color world with where the monster was at and everything was happy-go-lucky. And then the same set was turned into the evil scientific lab. So what we had to do was we had to schedule one day where we shot all the, the, the colorful stuff, if you will, all the fun stuff with the monster. And that all had to be in one day and literally had to be in one day. If we would not have made that day, 
the turnaround could not have happened to turn it into the evil science. So you go into it with that kind of pressure. And again, to what Robin was saying earlier, that's all kid time. So you're, you're hustling through. But for Haas, he had to, as the kids leave the colorful world, Haas had to know exactly what order they were in, how they went in. And then when they came out on the other side, we had to replicate the same order. They had to be slimed at that point. And you can only put that all together with having a script ahead of time like that. So you can wrap your head around it. I had time to schedule it. The art department had time to figure out the puzzle of how do we, you know, how do we convert the world, you know, with art and construction and all that to put that together. Robin's figuring out how much school we're getting, um, which is another big point. We should probably talk about that a little bit, is how much school these kids need to get and how that is a part of our day. It's a non-negotiable part of our day. You know, when you deal with the kids, these things are not, they're not like a, a set of rules that eh, we follow as best we can. It's a set of rules that we have to follow. These are state law. You cannot shoot them over nine and a half hours. They have to get school time. When we put this all together, the three of us, and plan these things out. They're absolutes. These are fixed moments in time. These The time that these kids are going to blow up or they have to go to lunch or the school they get. And danger things, we needed that prep time for all of us just to sit and figure out with first team and background, how can we make this all happen? Tell me more about the experience of the child actors on your set. The child actors on our set, I know everyone listening, or particularly the fans listening, I know everyone wants to hear about what it's like on set because that's where we do the magic and, and we have a lot of fun filming. But equally important is their life in the studio, but not on stage, when they're in school, when they're at lunch. And Robin, as our key second, is hands down probably the best key I've ever seen work with the kids in terms of keeping them happy. I mean, it is a, you know, these kids come in and from the minute they walk in, they're told what to do. They're told where to go. They're told how to study, where to go, the lines. Because when they come to set, you know, they know what they have to do. But behind the scenes, Robin's job is to get them from place to place and she does it awesome. So Robin, why don't you tell us a little bit about, actually, I'd like to hear how you do it, to be perfectly honest, because they're always happy and talking so well about you. So how do you, how do you do this? I basically treat them the same way I treated Betty White. So I treat them with respect, even though they're children. I give them as much respect as I can, as I would an adult. And I think that's really important that they feel heard and that they feel like they have some control, because it's really hard for a child you know, Cooper, he gets to go to set and then go to his room and chill out, where the other four kids go to set and right when they come off set, they have to go to school and complete maybe three hours of school that day or maybe one hour and they don't get as much chill out time as Cooper does. Uh, we do give them as much chill out time as we can, but it's not going to be as much as, say, Cooper gets because he is an adult. And I know that I like to chill out during the day. So I can't imagine being 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And remember, it is hard being a teenager. I don't know if you guys remember. It's, it's tough being a teenager. But to be a teenager, to have to learn all those lines, to have to get an A in science and do it all in nine and a half to 10 and a half hours, it's a lot. And sometimes they only get their lunch break, but it's, it's not an hour like the grips get or the electric gets or, or Cooper gets. They have to do you know, a half hour lunch and then go to school. So I try to give them as much empathy as I can. And they know I have a job to do and it has to be done because it is California law that we get all that school and we do the breaks. So I just try to do it with as much empathy and respect for their process as possible. I do believe my job as a second AD is to protect an actor's process 
So nothing I do in any way I approach them, I want it to show up on camera. So if I approach them in a way that got them angry because they didn't get to finish their omelet because they had to go to school and that shows up on camera and they forgot their lines because they're frustrated with how they're treated because, you know, I'm only 14 and I just wanted to eat my omelet and I had to go to school. Okay, so I did need to get them to eat their omelet. I did need to get them to go to school and I did need to get them to go to set, but I didn't have to treat them without respect having them do all that. So that's what I try to do. And I got to say, these four kids, now three, because Jace is 18. That was a great day when we did not have to put Jace in school anymore. I think everyone can agree with that. Those kids are so professional, so kind, and so nice that I got very, very, very lucky coming in season two. I stepped into a wonderful cast. Those kids were very, very, very easy to work with, and they work their butts off in school, and they work their butts off on set, as you guys can see. But I also got very lucky because that hasn't been the case on every children's show I've worked on, but I'm very lucky on this one. It's tricky. It's juggling a lot of personalities the key second. I mean, Robin throughout the day has to go to every single department and get information, handle the cast, makeup and hair, wardrobe and everything. And it is, I mean, to some extent, it, it can be a lot more challenging than running a stage because the stage is a stage. You got to shoot, right? The cameras are ready and someone's going to call action and the train rolls. But behind the scenes for Robin and Haas, it is a dance to keep all that working and keep morale up. It's, the, it's what they both do incredibly well. Why, thanks, Mike. But we, Haas and I couldn't do our job if you weren't as supportive as you are. And I think the crew would all agree that you are one of the best, if not the best, uh, first AD in children's television, hands down. Oh, well, thank you. And that's, but to answer your question from earlier, Skid, we are, and Matthew as well, who we talked about, we are a good unit. I mean, we've worked together long enough, but we all are very, I think, respectful of each other's jobs, the way we have to do them. And I don't find that we question our motives whenever we come up with an idea. You know, there's no agenda. And there's been a lot of shows out there. I think there's, I think in Hollywood, there's a lot of, there's a lot of agendas going on. We're a pretty solid team, the old Henry Danger ADs. And we look good. (laughs) And we look good. We're a handsome bunch. The best looking of them all. (laughs) (laughs) Hoss, you didn't really get to weigh in on that. I need to ask you, do these guys hog the radio time on set? Always going back and forth and not letting you get a word in edgewise when when you guys Uh, are shooting? Well, we definitely communicate a lot. We work well together, like Mike said. But no, uh, in our group, when it's just us, especially uh, on our uh, communication devices, we often chat a lot and we bust each other's balls quite a bit all day long (laughs) and uh, it goes quite evenly all around yeah it does that's for sure now what also what this feeds into as well is i think we're all so good at all of our jobs that when we slide up is what we're going to do next week when we shoot episode 506 i'll direct 506 robin will first ad 506 Haas will key second 506 and then matthew actually will step up and he will second second the episode as well On its surface, that's a hard plug and play. I mean, you know, but we do it, I'd like to think, pretty seamlessly because, again, it's all about, it's just about how well we all know each other and how seriously we all take our jobs. For those of you that work in the business, 80s usually talk on walkie-talkies. Well, we actually talk on what's called a PL. And the beautiful thing about a PL is you can talk in real time. You don't have to wait for the other person to stop talking. So it lends itself to a lot better communication where you can interrupt each other. You can talk over each other just like we are right now and, or like you're on the phone. Um, and actually, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it, keep, it keeps our sanity for sure. I mean, just communication is huge that way. But also, uh, you know, we call it our little PL club. We just can, you know, we can share stories. We can talk about what's happened. It's an amazing device. And when you go to walkies for all you ADs listening, it's just brutal. And I'm the worst at it because I, <laughs> I keep wanting to talk over everybody. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. I look like an idiot trying to find my surveillance and oh my gosh. 
Hey, Mike, let me follow up on something you said there. You talked about working on episode 506. I know when I was recording episodes on my DVR, they're largely calling them season four episodes. And I know in television for children, networks can sometimes blur when a season begins and when a season ends. Do you guys get proper hiatuses? Yes. The general multi-camera format, I think across the board, right, Robin, is you shoot three episodes and then you take a week off for everybody involved. The writers catch up, everyone gets their breath, props, special effects. Everyone kind of is able to catch up. Kids can go to school. The actors go to school. But is that, is that I don't know, is that an industry standard or is that kind of just us? I think what Skid is referring to is the hiatus between seasons because when you're episodic, he wouldn't even think that he'd get a hiatus in the middle of a season. So there's hiatuses in the middle of a season, which lasts two, three, four, five, six months, and hiatuses in between three blocks of episodes, which last a week. So you guys so do, we do get several get, months off summer or some other time during the calendar year to go do other projects? Do people have time for that? Um, you certainly have time to do other projects. I went and had a baby this last time, so I did not work on any other projects this time. That's project enough, I would think. Uh, <laughs> For a little while, Henry Danger was also sharing a studio space with a show called Game Shakers. And although Robin didn't work on that, Haas was jumping back and forth. I directed on it as well. So we kind of, for a while, we were working almost year-round. I mean, it just by the way, they kind of overlapped the shows. For the team overall, Mike, when you are going to direct an episode, how does that affect everyone's jobs? You talked about moving up, and I'm curious how that works in practice. I think for all of us, I'm going to speak for all, but I want everyone to weigh in on this. The week that you step up, so the week that I direct and Robin moves up and Haas moves up, you have to somehow turn off that part of your brain that's always usually the forefront. So as a first AD, I step up to direct. I need to drop scheduling. I need to drop the runnings of the stage. I need to put my head into the directing space. And I'll say that I can do that with such ease because Robin is such a good first AD, I know I don't have to worry about it. She's got it all covered. But still, and it's taken me a while, when I first started directing after first ADing, it, it was, that was hard. I mean, just trying to unlearn what you've learned to jump into something else. But, uh, but I, can, I can do that with such ease because I know Robin and Haas will just flow up so well that I, I don't have to worry about it. And I think that's what makes our production why I do get my episodes to direct because I know it's not going to hurt anything because we're also good at what we do. It just sort of happens. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Robin, what do you think? What's it like? Because a lot of times what it means for you is you're not getting a lot of prep because you're going, you're dealing with production report on Wednesday night and you're waking up Thursday morning and now you have to put a schedule out and you're the first. Yes. Uh, I was actually just talking to Haas about this the other day that I love being your first AD when you're a director because you still want to be a first AD and you just like <laughs> make announcements and tell everyone everything and I just have to stand there and look pretty. So, but I guess I guess this time I'm gonna have to step up since you're on to me. So um, I'll have to like. That's why, man. <laughs> to dust off my first AD cap. Um, hey, you know what though? A funny story is one. The, was it the first episode? I think. Oh the first, my god! So get this: I had directed a bunch, but I an episode that I directed that Robin had first stepped up to first AD. She comes in the morning and she's like, "Hey, Mike." I'm like, Robin, why are you whispering? She's like, I'm not whispering. I don't have my voice. I woke up with laryngitis. And I'm like, get out of town. You can't have laryngitis. Like, I'm serious. I can't talk. So that week was this funny dance of, I think, I mean, I still think I, I had to make all the announcements. Robin was still running it. But do you believe that her first, and she wasn't sick or anything, right? You just, I don't know what happened. You came in and had laryngitis. Yeah, just every once in a while, I'll just lose my voice. And it was, I was only, this was the fourth episode I worked on in Henry Danger. And one of the reasons they hired me is because I was a first AD. <laughs> the first episode that I get to work, I could feel it going. I could feel it going. And then the shoot date, it was just gone. And poor Haas, 
I kept yelling, saying into my PL, get, get, get the stage quiet, get the stage quiet. And he's trying to do his job. And now he has to get the stage quiet as well as at the background. It was a mess. and It was very stressful. And luckily for me, Mike was a prince about it. He was so nice about it. And he just stepped up and did basically was the voice and the director. And I just, I don't even know what I did. I just stood there trying to shoot people, I guess. But that only happened once. And then when we did Space Invaders, the two-parter, that was much better. Here's the best part, Skid. The episode that she's talking about, was it just like a bunch of people in the living room? No. Was it the man cave where we just had two or three people? No. We were in a gymnasium playing basketball with like, what, 60, 70 people in the bleachers, Haas? <laughs> we had six rotating teams. I mean, I think by the end of it, I was hoarse and Haas were hoarse because we were all yelling so much. Yeah, Definitely. we'd all lost our voice. <laughs> well, Mike, that was a great impression of Robin's laryngitis voice. That's the best <laughs> I've ever heard right there. But yeah, that was totally a, a ridiculous episode. Because, yeah, I had five or six basketball teams that just got done with a tournament. I'm not a basketball player, really. So I'm trying to script basketball plays uh, for these, uh, what were they, seventh or eighth graders, something like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that was also the episode that we had a big guest star. Or what was that, a different episode? That was, was different. Star. That was different. We had okay. Russell Westbrook, but that was a different basketball episode. So, yeah, Robin whispers to me, uh, keep them quiet. And then I'm trying to script plays and keep things going. That was a... It was a nightmare, but I still got to come back the next day. So, (laughs) of course, of course, you did. Still here. So, Haas, when uh, in general, then when Robin moves up to first and moved to key, does that mean you're going back and doing more paperwork and more first team running, or do you guys sort of shift those responsibilities? Yeah, no, I'll basically pick up uh, everything that she's uh, setting down to pick up Mike stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'll do call sheets, PRs, get run first team, give everybody call times. Yeah, it's just shifting, completely shifting. You know, though, at leading up to this, you know, I've been keeping an eye on or keeping an ear open to what she's got going on to try to, so it's not a completely like a, somebody new stepping in. You know, I've been prepped that I've heard everything that's happened leading up to this. So it's not a, you know, somebody stepping in blind to this, thankfully. We've got a good team like that that's able to just next man up. It is because the job is still the job. I mean, and that's what's, what's so interesting about it is the reason we work so well is because all of us are very aware of what we have to accomplish during the day. And there's certain things that I can't move. I can't continue on unless Robin does her job. There's certain things that Robin does that she can't move forward with unless Haas does his job. And then when we all switch up, it's just that trust that you have to step into that job and make it happen. And I think more importantly, we all want each other to succeed in what we're doing. So I, I do think there's a sense of it would kill any of us to, to let it either, you know any of us down, which we've never done. For all you ADs listening out there, you know, your team when you do talk about your team, it, it, it really is your team. It's, it's, it's vital that everyone is doing exactly what they have to be doing. You have to trust each other and what you're doing. And if you don't, it just makes it awfully hard to do the job. I mean, we, we come in and, and everyone knows it's like just like a dance choreography. We all know each other's moves. We don't step in on each other's feet very much. Sometimes we do. Every, every once in a while, we'll step on each other's toes. But we're all self-aware enough to know that we did it. And it's like, okay, sorry. And we, we move on quickly. So I've got a pretty good sense of how challenging your shoot days are. But what are your rehearsal days like? Shoot days, you, you have to get a shot. So that's usually very business-like. Rehearsal days, that's a little bit more informal. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Our Henry Danger cast... We have two adults. We have Cooper and we have Michael Cohen, who plays uh, who plays Schwaz. And then you have the four that we'd say kids. And I, I, you know, Jace, if you're listening, I still consider you a kid, even though I know you're 18. So you have Jace and Ella, and you have Riel and Sean. 
And what's interesting is Coop's been an actor his whole life. He's a, he's a vet actor. He's done a lot of stuff and been in this business a long time. Michael Cohen um, is a little older than Cooper, and he's been in this business an extremely long time. So you get all these different processes that come to set. And what's interesting is, like Jace, well, from day one, he always likes to come to set and he won't use a script. He just, he tries to get off book awfully quickly because Jace is a real physical actor. So he'd love to get the pages down and work with it. Riel, who's super smart, Riel, you can just tell when she gets into her process and she figures it out, that's how it's going to go. She's, she's locked and loaded. Sean's the same way. Sean, from the get-go, when he, 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 he just has an awareness of the set that's actually, it's, it's amazing. The other day, or one episode, I was giving him a note about something, and he was like, well, you know, there's, there's a couple holes cut up top there. They can hear me through those. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I'm like, oh, and this is a set I've shot in a hundred times. But Sean has such an awareness with the set. And then you have Ella coming through, and Ella's character is that fine line of being, you know, obviously the screaming um, sister, but Ella also tries to find all kinds of different levels where she's not being all screamy. And so she's always trying to work that way. So when we all get together, two things happen. A, it's kind of hard to get the guys to quit joking around because they're all such good friends. They joke and joke and joke. And you always look over and there's Riel like staring at him with like that Riel stare. Like, really guys, can we go? Can we go? Not mean, but she's like always, I'll look over. I'm like, I'm so sorry, Riel. I, I get it. I know. You know, and she just laughs. But the guys have to kind of rip their jokes. And once they get through them, we get going on rehearsal with them. But it's interesting seeing how the kids make our adults younger, if that makes sense. I mean, Coop and Michael will all of a sudden be joking like teenagers again. But then the flip side is, I think sometimes the kids watch Coop and Michael work. And they, they get a sense of what veteran actors how they get into their process, you know, the way they'll go over their notes. Cooper does a lot of times, he'll walk out, his script has all this writing on it. Cooper will, re will write what Ray or Captain Man is doing before the scene. So he knows what state of mind he needs to be in. And a lot of times when you're getting ready to yell action, he's turning to Jace, already improving what's supposed to be happening before we start. So by the time I yell action or whoever's directing, then they go into the scripted scene. It's a lot of fun watching them rehearse. Watching rehearsals is some of the funniest stuff that I wish some people could see because it's there are so many gold nuggets of comedy that are maybe have nothing to do with like the episode, just either riffing on each other, giving a little jab here and there, or just accidents that happen. You know, somebody door doesn't open, something has happened like that. But there are those moments where it is like priceless that I feel very lucky to be on set with them watching some of these things happen just on the rehearsal process. It's fantastic. He is right about that. I, I it's funny you say that. They're some of the most gut laughing. Like you can't get your breath. Cooper can riff and does imitations that you wouldn't believe. He does an Al Pacino, Seinfeld, and he's a walking Wikipedia of movie scripts. Cooper can break out into, you know, some people break out in song, like, oh, you know, the, you know, they know a song. Cooper will just start ripping out whole scenes from movies. And I'll tell Haas is right. Sometimes we just get laughing so much or he gets the kids cracking up so much on set. And that even bleeds into shoot days too. We've had, we've had some times shoot days where we just can't get through the scene. I mean, that Spelling Bee episode that just aired, I remember a couple of times on set with Coop and Sean and Jason, they were doing the, having the show what's in their bag. Like the joke was Captain Man can't really spell very well. So Jace, you know, to spell, you know, something that has the letter E in it, Jace would take an egg out. So Coop knew it started with an E. And so, well, man, we got riffing on some of that during shooting and oh it was hard. it was hard to get through it well i really appreciate you guys sharing the insights about both how your team works and what it's like working on henry danger thanks guys this has been a lot of fun thank you skid absolutely that concludes our discussion about henry danger it also concludes the first season of below the line 
I'm already editing new episodes for season two, but I'm going to take some time to regroup and launch the podcast anew early next year. If you've enjoyed this season, please tell your friends. I could use your help expanding our audience. And along the same lines, I'd really appreciate your feedback, what you've enjoyed, specific topics or films you'd like me to cover, and suggestions for what I might do differently with season two. My email address is skid, S-K-I-D, at blowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. And let me know if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter. On both of those platforms, we're at Pod Below the Line. You can also follow us on our Facebook community page. That's at Podcast Below the Line. Thanks as always to Curtis Fye for our music and John Wan for our logo. And a special thanks to all of my Season 1 guests who made this podcast possible. It's been a lot of fun. Please join us again for Season 2.